everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Hitchcock Minute, a Movies by Minutes hosted program of the 1959 Alfred Hitchcock directed thriller North by Northwest. We're breaking this movie down one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host. I'm Alan Sanders from The Wilder Ride. I am Walt Murray, also from The Wilder Ride. And this has been a pretty good wild ride for us on this one. Uh, It's right up our alley. This is exactly the kind of film we like. Oh, I love this. Yeah, this is fun. And I, uh, I really am looking forward to hearing what some of our other Movie by Minute hosts have to say about it. Uh, I know how I feel about Hitchcock and... Um, this, this is a movie. How many times have you watched this? Do you think over the years? Well, I've seen it probably less than a dozen leading into this. It had probably been seven or eight years though, since I had last seen it when we had this project. And since we've had this project, I've watched it start to finish at least three different times. And I've watched our minutes over and over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I probably watched this movie 30 years ago and had not touched it since I actually had to go order a new copy of it, but it is now one that uh, I'll probably have to start revisiting about once a year just because realizing how good this movie really is. It is. It's, it's a, it's an older style of filmmaking. You've got, he's not afraid to use quiet. He's not afraid to use long periods of nothing happening or long shots of watching a car approach but I think that just adds to that sense of tension, that oh, the, yeah. the, the thrills of what's going to happen next. And the audience sitting there in the theater thinking, OK, we know you don't have the right guy. How come he why, why are how's he going to get out of this? And there are a lot of ways to build up to something. You know, you can build up to something with heavy action that leads to a big confrontation or, you know, so many different ways to, to lead up to something. I like this older style of filmmaking where you have a long period of tension building mm-hmm. and Hitchcock probably does it better than anybody. Well, like I said, his his way of looking at it is if you let the audience in on just enough of the information that the characters are unaware of, but you as an audience member are aware of, right. it's no longer just a logical, I'm following the story. Now it's emotional. Now you're evoking a response out of me. That's right. That's right. And uh, and again, I mean, Hitchcock was such the master of of building tension and then sometimes throwing you a curveball. Oh, so. isn't that part of it? Isn't that it part is. of messing with the audience, it messing is. with your head? And and you can only get away with that if you are fully engaged with the movie. That's right. Yeah, if you're not, this is not one you want to watch passively. No. You so. you do have to pay attention. Because as we said, if you miss just that one little exchange we talked about earlier this week when the bellboy's asking for a George Kaplan as Cary Grant's looking to flag the, the, the bellboy, you have no idea why someone's being mistaken for somebody else. Yeah, no, you don't. You don't. And then you spend the whole rest of the movie going, wait, how did we get here? Yeah. You, you, I mean, you figure it out at the end. At some point, you do have other forces at work behind the scenes that make themselves known, but it takes a while. It does. It does. All right. Well, let's go ahead and set the stage for this minute. We are in minute number nine, and it starts off with the Cadillac finally coming to a stop in front of the mansion with Licht then stepping out of the car. We'll talk about that first. And we're going to end with Thornhill saying, oh, don't worry, I'll catch up on my reading as he's being left in a locked library. A very nice home this place is. It is a beautiful home. Awesome place. Well, let's get off with my first complaint of this minute. We watched as Roger Thornhill reached for the car door and the lock and could not open the door from inside the Cadillac. I'm glad you um, went to that one instead of revisiting one of our Star Wars complaints from the last minute. But <laughs> yeah, I noticed I, the same thing as soon as we started watching this minute again that the car hasn't even rolled to a stop. There's no way anybody else could have 
come up and unlock the door, but he just opens the door and they're hopping out. Yeah, Licht opens the door without a second thought. Just boop, pops right open for him. Maybe maybe it's a, a palm print reader built into the door handle. I'm sure that in that... You know, in, in, in our James Bond world, that must be what this is. It has to be. <laughs> has to be. 1959. This is a 58 Cadillac. I'm sure that was a feature available to some corporate magnets no of the day. No question. No question. <laughs> it was voice print identification, uh, retina scans. Get smart shoe phone. <laughs> the cone of silence. The cone of silence. <laughs> See, I don't ever get the cone of silence. I usually get caught with the cone of shame. I've had that a few times. <laughs> My dog gets caught with the cone of shame, too. That's a whole Quite different frequently. cone. <laughs> uh, I don't understand why they made a point of calling out the door being locked and him not being able to open it. And in this very next moment, I guess Hitchcock must be saying to themselves, well, he has the key. But who who opens the car door on the inside with a key? Makes no sense. No, it's a it's a definite error in my mind in terms of both dialogue or plot device. Now, it goes by so fast you may not think about it. But when you're breaking it down one minute of the episode at a time, um, it becomes a problem to me. Why why, why not have somebody meeting them opening the door from the outside? Yeah, I agree. Or uh, even the driver running around and doing it. I mean, you, you've already made it clear that you're not compressing time here. So why not just have the driver jump out and come around and open it? Right. Um, the other thing that we'll talk about here is this whole opening sequence that doesn't feel right either. Is this their lair? Is this headquarters? If it is, it's, you know, it's the worst hidden lair in history. Well, I mean, sometimes hiding in plain sight. We're watching all this other stuff in plain sight. But true. if it's your lair, if this is, if we want to think of it as that, because I'm, I'm asking because I don't know. Why do you have to ring the doorbell to go into your own hideout? Right. And how do you get through the gate if you're having, to, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of questions here. Wouldn't you think that they would just walk in the door? Yes, I would think so. I mean, if this is where you normally were going to bring the person anyway, this is where you apparently your base of operations, you know the woman who comes to the door. That's right. You ask where the guy is. He's upstairs changing. Why are you bothering to ring the doorbell? Right. And then the guy goes, uh, hey, is there anybody in the library? Nope. Okay, great. So he's they walk on in. Um, it, it's it's odd because he is on, on in one second very familiar with the mm-hmm. building and then Another second, he's not at all. So it's it's strange to me. It, it feels, and we know now, looking back, that the writer was writing as he was going along. He really had no idea himself where the plot was taking them. Mm-hmm. He just was writing little scenes here and there and trying to connect them in some way. It just feels really odd that you've got these two guys that were obviously sent on some kind of a reconnaissance mission, and if they happen to come across this person named Kaplan, you're supposed to use whatever means necessary to detain him and bring him here. I mean, the very first line is. Where is he? Upstairs dressing. Says, where is he? Upstairs dressing. Obviously, they're reporting to someone. Right. And then the the woman says, uh, or Valerian says, Tell him I'm here. And then Anna says, The dinner guests are expected. Like, hey, he can't come down now. I know you just kidnapped somebody, but we've got a party. Right. <laughs> the kidnapped victim will just have to wait. He's just going to have to wait his turn. Yeah, so lock him in the library right by the front door because nobody will hear him. <laughs> With in a there. window, which is obvious because we'll see that at the end of this minute. Yeah. Light streaming in from somewhere. I'm going to guess from a window. There's a lot of questions I have about what I would do in this situation versus what Thornhill does. Two of my biggest questions, both in this minute and this movie, have to do with locks. Because in the same minute, he goes to lock him in the library, and he reaches inside to the inside lock to lock it, and then walks out, and then... Roger can't unlo- open the door from the inside. It, it, like, it doesn't make any I sense. I think what he's doing, but it was, they should have done an insert. I would have done an insert. I think it's one of those two-way locks that has a key. 
And I think the key was left in the lock. And what he was reaching in is to pull the key out from the inside and then use that key from the same keyhole on the outside. That it's sort of a, it's a keyhole on both sides of the door and it was just left inside the keyhole. That, that's all I can that's, think of. Yeah, that would be the only thing that would make sense. Because I, that's what, that was my first thought too. When I watched it again, I said, what's he doing? Just, is he turning a little latch on the inside? Yeah, that's what I thought he did. Well, that's great. You can close the door, but the latch is on the inside. Couldn't you just turn the knob or, or release the latch and open the door? Yeah, there's a lot in this minute that they want you to go, eh, it's just a movie. <laughs> Stop it, guys. <laughs> Quit breaking this thing down. It's just a movie. I, I, but, okay, that I can, I can explain away if we're, we have to accept the fact that he's pulling a little key out and we're going to, we'll, we'll watch it very closely as we get into it. So he jumps, you know, uh, licked, jumps out of the car right off the bat, puts his hand in his pocket to remind him, hey, by the way, buddy, I've got a gun here. Uh, you've got Valerian who comes in and then goes before uh, or, or gets in front of Thornhill to go to the door. And this is where I said, I don't get it. Why are you ringing the doorbell? It, it, yeah. Just go in. Right. Just just enter. It's your lair. It's your it's your hideaway. It's your it's your it's your fortress of solitude. And you've got a kidnap victim who you don't have restrained in any way. You're putting your back to him. Yeah. Now, granted, the other guy's behind him. Fine. But yeah, still. But still. You just kind of want to get that guy inside as fast as you can and get him to a place where he's secured. I mean, and if it's not a place of familiarity, why don't you both stay behind your query and make him ring the doorbell? Right. You know, ring the doorbell. And then I can see a nice little sign. Why should I? Because we told you to. Right. Ring the doorbell. Then he rings it. Woman shows up and then they they talk from behind him. And if you've been kidnapped, don't be a gentleman. <laughs> you know, make it hard on these guys. Yeah. Don't help out. Yeah. Don't Don't make it easy for them. All right, so he rings the doorbell, looks back over his shoulder, waits for someone to come enter. I know it's because we did Young Frankenstein. Right. But was this a Frau Bluka moment? That's what I was wondering. There there were no horse whinnies. That was disappointing. Not yet. Well, because she didn't say anything about... Uh, she didn't tell her name. Right. No, we didn't, we didn't hear Frau Bluka. <laughs> uh, but she's sort of got a very... Uh, austere look to her when she opens the door. There's no, there's nothing really pleasant about Anna when no. she comes to the door. Anna's not a pleasant lady. No, she just sort of stares and looks. And uh, as she opens the door, Licht just circles around the back of the house while Valerian takes our our, our kidnappee inside. You also definitely get the sense that Anna is in on what's going on. Well, he, she must because she op- she she steps aside to let them in. While, like I said, Licht goes around the back door. Now, is he going around back to make sure that the family doesn't walk in on them? Or, I mean, where's he going? Why Why, why doesn't he come in the front door? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, I would, particularly on a guy this big, I would want two guys on him all the time. And I'd probably put somebody in the room with him to make sure he didn't course, try to escape. Is this, is this a statement about Anna? Maybe she's part of the East German wrestling yeah, team. Yeah, could be. She, she may be tough. Although, if it was, I would have dressed her like a man. I would just a man to dress like a woman. True. Remember like in Top Secret? Oh, yeah. When the East German women's wrestling team comes out to present the the medals? Yes. <laughs> it's all men in wigs. Yep. <laughs> big, massive, like Schwarzenegger biceps. Yes. <laughs> Beards. Well, in fact, I had that minute in my Top Secret minute where I was a guest. Did you? Yep. Oh, so, that's a great that minute. That was awesome. <laughs> I love it. Uh, before that, you know, what did he say? He's going like, to put you on the Mon- Montgomery Ward mailing list. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to go shoot him for that. Yeah. <laughs> That's that is a funny movie. That's a great movie, uh, and that's that's where we get all of our spy and intrigue knowledge from from things like that. Oh. Between 
uh, top uh, top secret to Mission Impossible, we've 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 run the gamut. Absolutely. And James Bond. Let's not forget James. James Bond is the is the biggest one, of course. I I can't figure out why Licht goes around back and why we have a shot of him doing no it anyway, idea. unless. This is one of those things where maybe they shot the interior first and realized he wasn't in the scene. Mm-hmm. And so to match it, they're like, well, how do we get rid of him? Well, let's just have him go around back. Yeah, makes sense. Because, um, you know, they don't shoot things necessarily in order. And I know they were kind of all over the place, but the script was kind of coming along yeah. in segments. Um, and again, just one of those things that you, as the movie watcher, just kind of go, okay, that's what he did. And that's it's just a movie. All right, we cut inside to the house. And it looks like there's a double set of doors here because there was a little foyer after the main door because now we've got these very highly decorated doors where there's mostly oak, but then there's this wrought iron design. It does not look like there's glass in there. It just looks like uh, designs. There may be glass it with is, it. Oh, there is. You do see it just yeah. as she starts to close it. You get a little bit of a reflection. So, but, uh, so a very ornate looking design. Uh, this whole room is wood wood walls. Uh, it's, it's richly designed. You got some gold accents on the lighting. Uh, you got a chair that's got some gold cushioning. So very, someone's well to do that lives here. Yeah. And it, it fits with what you see of the exterior of the house. Yeah. Um, I do like, uh, when they're talking about where is he upstairs dressing, tell him I'm here. The, the desk, the dinner guests are expected. He says, uh, never mind. Say to him, Kaplan. And then Thornhill goes, by the way, what are we having for dessert? <laughs> Like, he thinks he's part of the dinner party. Yeah, well, it makes Another sense. Another James Bond kind of quip. Absolutely. Sort of like maybe trying to fish for some information. You're being a little snarky, a little sarcastic. You just assume, well, I must be here for the dinner party. Yes, I must be the most important person here. Yeah. You went through all this effort to bring me here to a fancy dinner party. Which you would kind of think that the kidnap victim would kind of take precedence over anything else you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as Anna goes upstairs, we've got Valerian who points to the doorway, uh, basically says, uh, this way. And as Valerian enters that uh, the library, uh, this is an impressive... For, first of all, let's, before we even get into the library, this, I guess, entryway, parlor area, giant rug on the floor. Once again, well adorned with uh, very fancy wood uh, everywhere. You've got wood columns, you've got judges paneling, you've got huge paintings on the first landing of the staircase that looks like it goes mm-hmm. up to another landing, a chandelier overhead as they're walking by. Again, sort of giving you the opulence of whoever owns this home. Yeah, big vaulted ceiling. But let me ask you this. Aren't most villains in James Bond similarly adorned yes. with their with their layers and hideouts? Absolutely. There's always like this sense of opulence around them. They're not yeah. they're not they're not operating out of a hovel. Even though they're, they may be underwater, they may be in a cave, doesn't matter. You walk into something like this. Right. Just like with Moonraker, one of the first times we meet the bad guy, it's on his palatial estate when they're going to go quail hunting yeah. or pheasant hunting. Uh, in fact, that's actually one of, my funny, one of my favorite parts that reminds me so much of this style of humor is when you know there's someone in the tree that's going to try to take James Bond out while they're pheasant hunting. Right. And James Bond is looking at a bunch of birds, and he like tracks them, tracks them, tracks them, and finally fires. And uh, the bad guy goes, "You've missed, Mister Bond." And then he goes, "Did I?" And all of a sudden, you see the body fall out of the tree. Yep. <laughs> and I love that. It's great. It's great. And it's such of that that sort of he knows he's in danger, but he's still going to be going to be have that little sarcastic little quip, and he's going to take it almost with a sense of humor. Well, and if you're a James Bond, you're you know you're up the chain. You know you're not going to go deal with street level crime or hoods or you know the lowest level spy. You're dealing with 
the huge organization that you got to take down. So of course they're going to live in, you know, these huge mansions and have all this money and uh, unlimited power and, and wealth to deal with um, where, you know, just your average street hood who's stealing a truckload of old TVs, you know, that James Bond doesn't have time for that. Right. There's underlings for those kinds of cases. Yeah. And you you get the feeling that Roger here just got thrown into the upper level, wild, crazy, whatever it is he's dealing with. He He's not dealing with guys who are going to take him behind the dumpster and beat him up. This is something big. Now, actually, this almost, if, if I'm living in New York, if I'm an ad agent, I, I also know about the mafia and the mob. And I'm thinking, am I at some mob's yeah, house? Is right. this? Like this isn't like the lower level guys. This is like, is this like the the Godfather of the family? That's right. Yeah. Is John Gotti going to walk out? Well, and they do have a huge rug right here in the foyer, so you don't know if he's going to end up rolled up in that and <laughs> yeah, dumped in New Jersey. Well, that's never good when you have plastic in the room when you walk in either. Not a good Thankfully, sign. not that doesn't happen here. Um, so as they do walk to the library, I like how Valerian sort of now he's now he decides. Well, let's make the uh, kidnappy open his own door. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm going to ring the doorbell myself to come into the home, but now that we're inside, I'm going to show him who's boss. Yeah, which is weird that he he has the almost over familiarity with the house inside, but he had to ring the doorbell at the to, to come in. Which is why I brought it up. I don't. I still don't understand. He 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 knows there's a boss here. He knows Anna. He he tells her to go tell him Kaplan. Right. She goes upstairs. He knows there's a dinner party, but he's like, I don't care. I'm going to put him in the library. You know, he knows his way around. Like I said, this is like their lair. This is this is where they operate. And I'd out like of. more backstory on Kaplan because, like, they know who Kaplan is. They know his importance, but they don't know what he looks like. Like, you've now had three people in what seems to be kind of a major spy ring or criminal organization, and none of them know what Kaplan looks like. Well, that's a very good question for some fellow Movies by Minutes podcasters to delve into. When, yeah. Because there's a couple of scenes coming up quickly that may help define why you may not know what he looks like, but you're aware there's somebody out there that goes by that name. Right. But it is an interesting thing to be thinking about right now. Yeah, and, and I think as we delve into it, it's an important point. All right, so we go into the library, and it looks like your typical kind of like uh, push-down handles. They're not round doorknobs. Mm-hmm. They're sort of like lever-style yeah, doorknobs. Levers, yeah. Um, and as we walk in, he reaches behind, and it does look like he pulls something out and cups it into his hand. Yeah, now that you say that, I, I do see what you're talking about. I, uh, I thought he was messing around with some kind of switch or something. but that, That's what I, it looks like if you're not paying real close attention. Yeah, I think you're right now that I see that. But uh, it's obvious he's, uh, as Thornhill has walked a few steps into this large library, very nice looking library, the guy has pulled something from the other side of the door handle and now pulls the, the, the door closed, and then we hear the typical sound of a, of a key being put into a metal lock, locking the door. And to confirm that, Thornhill goes to the door and realizes, okay, the handle now no longer moves. Yep. So if, if this was me, um, well, let me ask you, if this was you, I mean, mm-hmm. you're not the dumbest person I know. I mean, you're well, I mean, bottom five, but, you know. <laughs> I can give them a run for their money. Yeah, what would you be, what would be your first thought Okay, here? first thing I thought of, and I watched this, and this is because of the camera placement, I noticed they've got those sliding bolts at the mm-hmm. top and bottom of the door. I'm thinking, you're leaving me in here. You can come back at your will, but guess what? I'm going to put these bolts in place so you can't just walk in. That's right. First thing I'm thinking is I'm bolting this door. The second thing is I'm looking for a weapon. That's right. I'm looking for something to protect myself or maybe use as leverage to get my way out of here. Right. And I'm the same way. The number one would be, all right, you've inconvenienced me. 
I'm going to be an a-hole. I'm about to make your your afternoon a pain in the butt, too. And I, I'd be looking for a weapon, a way out, or a way to do damage. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you can tell from the way that's lit that there seems to be a window of some kind. It feels like a window letting a, lo- a large window, by the way, mm-hmm. letting a light of light in here. I've got a heavy statue. looks like a metallic-based statue on one of these tables. I've got a couple of boxes, some ornate things. I've got lamps. I'm I'm thinking, all right, if I have to, I'm chucking something at the window, shattering it, and I'm getting my ass out of here. And and one problem that we do already know is that if he gets out, he's got acres to cover mm-hmm. to get off the property. So, but there's also a lot of foliage in places to hide. Yes, there is. And there so is. far, we've only seen two henchmen, and right now, one we don't know where he went. He's around the back of the house, and one's somewhere inside now. That's right. So, and I'm I, think- I would be thinking, I, w- I would like to take somebody out. I'd like to get a weapon of some kind. Um, but yeah, I, I would not be as, um, like starting right now, I would be looking to do violence. Right. He does a very slow turn and begins to walk back toward the center of the room. We get to pull back in a little bit. We see that there's a sofa in here. There is a coffee table with some kind of a uh, crystal or glass fixture on it. There's a mantle with some uh, a chand- a candelabra of, of, of sorts or some other decorative statuary on the mantle. So there's things, once again, to be used as weapons if you want. Yep, absolutely. There's a lot of books, obviously. Uh, It looks like a fireplace not being used right now, but a big open fireplace. I'm thinking, you know, if I'm in some really well-to-do estate like this, this is your library room, your reading room. I'm thinking, well, maybe you check the mail here. So look for a letter opener. Mm -hmm. Look for maybe go start rifling through the desk. I'm going to assume there's a desk in this room. It just feels like there's going to be. But I'm rifling through at this point. And if you're a true ne'er-do-well, there may be a gun in here. Um, Right. And if I am thinking I'm in the Godfather's house, maybe there is a weapon, uh, a true gun, uh, maybe a pistol, whether it's a revolver or whatever, but something I can use to increase my odds of survival. And if not, I'm about to do tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage to your library. (laughs) All right. Well, unfortunately for us, we don't see what he's about to do yet, just that he seems very calm and moving very slowly back in through the room as he begins to sort of look around his surroundings. Um, As we wrap up this particular minute, is there anything more you want to chat about? Because you asked me what I would do, and you kind of agreed, but what would be, from your background as a detective, if you found yourself suddenly on the wrong end of someone's interest, what would you be doing? Yeah, I'd be looking for a weapon here. That'd be the first thing I'd be looking for because you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to probably fight your way out of this. So uh, I would either be looking for a natural weapon like a knife or a gun, and then my next thing is like you had kind of talked about is you know what can I hit somebody over the head with? What heavy object can I use? Uh, those hardcover books are pretty good. I mean they'll they'll get get your attention. They'll ring mm-hmm. somebody's bell. Um, you know, there's there's a lot in that room that can certainly do damage to somebody. Which then let's let's look at it from then the opposite side. They're being awful, like just sort of pedestrian with somebody that they're kidnapping. They're not they sure are. They weren't worried about him doing anything in the car. They didn't search him. They let him just kind of walk into the house behind the main guy uh, behind Valerian. He could have done anything to him. They're letting him alone in this big room with ample opportunity to do destruction or find ways to defend himself. They obviously are not worried about him. Not a bit. Which doesn't make sense if they think he is what they are going to say he is. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. No. It makes sense if you're Roger Thornhill thinking, well, they just left me in here because they must have the wrong person. You're thinking, what is it, does this person owe somebody some money? You know what? Maybe he's thinking, if I just chill out here, 
I'll be able to get my wallet out. I'll show my ID. It's I appreciate that you may have a beef with somebody, but I'm obviously not him. Call my mother. You know, she'll tell well, you. Well, but I would be thinking too. Okay, even if they find out that I'm not Kaplan, well, now they've kidnapped me, taken me to their lair. I got another problem, and that is I've got information that. I could use against them, and they're not going to be happy about that. That's true. That, that that does put you in a bit of a precarious predicament. I'm, I'm kind of figuring, if I don't get out of here, I'm a dead man. Yeah. So now a desperation would set in. All right. Anything else in your notes for this minute? That's it. All right. Well, before we wrap this one up, we have one more to go for, uh, and it'll be our final. I can't believe how fast we've it's already crazy. burned through the first 10 minutes. This is minute number nine we're in. So while, uh, if someone's listening and they want to learn a little bit more about what we're doing, similar to a Hitchcock minute where we're looking at films of a director, we decided to look at films of an actor. That's right. And our actor of choice is a hero of ours, Gene Wilder, who I would argue is probably one of the funniest people to ever work. And he, unfortunately, has doesn't get the... Uh, the recognition that I think he deserves. So Alan and I launched out a couple years ago and started The Wilder Ride. We are covering the movies of Gene Wilder one minute at a time, and we have had a ball so far. Jim O'Kane, who is the mastermind behind this project, has been on our show several times. And uh, I was actually just listening to a couple of our minutes from last season uh, where Jim had been a guest and talked about railroads. And uh, it was the hand car episodes. Oh, yeah. And uh And those were great fun. But check us out on any podcatcher, Apple Podcatcher, wherever. Uh, We are The Wilder Ride. You can also find us online at thewilderride.com or on facebook.com slash thewilderride. And from there, you'll want to join our listeners group, which is a blast. We've got uh, like seven or 800 members at this point. Uh, Folks are sharing all kinds of stuff about uh, Gene Wilder and other projects that he was involved in that we haven't covered yet, other actors from his movies. And then we have a lot of kind of timely things. If a actor or actress passes away or if there's news on some movie being remade, that will definitely pop up on our on our Facebook page. It's very much about entertainment. It is. It's, it's arts and entertainment. It doesn't have to necessarily be about just Gene Wilder. It's a place that, and it's a clo- it's a private group, so that way it's not clogging up your news feed. People aren't seeing what you're putting in there unless you're part of the closed group. That's right, and I, and I don't always like posting everything that I have an opinion on out on my regular feed. So this is a fun place that if you didn't like one of Gene's movies, feel free to post about that and let us comment. But it's also a place we kind of police and make sure that nobody's being mean to anybody right. or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, be civil. So, we're having fun. It's all about having fun. That is the key. Is you just want to laugh, fun. have a good time, enjoy the discussion. Absolutely. And we've we've got some great folks, other movie-by-minute folks, and then a whole lot of other of our friends. Well, you mentioned that we're on Apple Podcasts and tons of podcatchers. This show, The Hitchcock Minute, is also available via Apple Podcasts, also Google Play, and many other podcatchers out there, or on the main website, HitchcockMinute.com. Don't forget, if you want to engage in social media with this particular project, the Hitchcock Minute, you can find the Facebook page, The Man on Washington's Nose, or go to Twitter and follow Hitchcock Minute. That's at Hitchcock Minute. All right, tomorrow, that's going to wrap us up. We've got a Friday edition, our 10th episode. This will be the last of us. And we want you to come back because as we do, we're going to continue in the locked library with Thornhill He's going to come across something that's going to have someone's name on it, and it's going to end with, not what I expected, a little taller. And we're getting introduced to, I believe, our James Bond villain of the movie. I think we are. 
But you're going to have to find out who that is and everything about him and his background and career as a very famous actor when we come back tomorrow of this, the Hitchcock Minute. All right, after this, I think I'm going to go write a how-to kidnap. Yeah. Somebody needs to get the kidnapping for dummies. <laughs> Put that yeah, out there. These guys have totally missed it on every level. There's, there's kidnapping for dummies, how to run your lair for dummies, where to not put kidnap victims when you're keeping them under under wraps. There's an entire series, a whole volume of yellow yeah. and black adorned books that have the there little guy, the little stick figure guy from all the dummies books. <laughs> there should be one for us that says podcasting for <laughs> right, dummies. I was going to say. Podcasting for dummies, ladies and gentlemen. I gotta go buy a copy. Yep, that's us. Goodbye, Mr. Thornhill, wherever you are. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Hitchcock Minute, where we are breaking down the Hitchcock classic North by Northwest, one minute of the film at a time. It's a collaborative effort with Movies by Minutes podcasters as part of... God. I tried to make it sound different. And my brain said, nope. Hitchcock specifically said, follow the directions. Stop trying to improv. Exactly. Gotta stop improving. God. See, it's it's the ghost of Hitchcock kicking you in the nuts. Sorry. Sorry, Jim. Has Jim been knighted? Do we call him Sir Jim? We can't know. Sir Jim? Sorry. All right, let's try this again. Oh, the movie went right out of my head again. The space one. Uh, Galaxy Moon Quest. Star- Moon- uh, Moon Star Wars. So <laughs> there's an entire series, a whole volume of yellow yeah. and black ordern, ordern, um, yellow and black ornate, ornate <laughs> yellow and black or Easy for you to say. I can't think of how you say it. Ordern, <laughs> ordern, adorn. Yellow and black adorned. Bo-